country music. I love country music. Country music. Country music. Country. The future of country music's looking good. I love it. Country confidential. Stage is an opportunity that if you come to my show, a Dick Down and Dallas fan, they're going to leave a fan of me um, because there's more layers to the onion, you know, and, and uh, I've been through a lot of stuff in my life. And uh, that song not only changed my life, but it changed the other people, uh, other people in my life's lives, too. Country riser Trey Lewis has one hell of a story. Born in Birmingham, Alabama, young Trey aspired to be a country music singer since he was little. Using music as an outlet as Trey struggled with addiction, Trey used that inspiration and drive from his late father to make his dreams a reality and ultimately move to Nashville. Leaning on community, Trey's viral hit Dick Down in Dallas really put the riser on the map. Redefining his image while staying true to his rowdy roots, Trey Lewis is stepping into his own and proving that he is a true threat in country music. This is Country Confidential, Trey Lewis. Country Confidential. So you are a proud Alabama native. I got to ask you, if somebody goes and visits your hometown, what is one restaurant they have to go visit and what meal do they need to get? Uh, Dreamland Barbecue and uh, get get the ribs. Really? Okay. Why why the ribs? Like, what's so good about them? I mean, you know, every town has the best barbecue you've <laughs> ever had. And, you know, I mean, from touring, you know, it's like we're like, oh, what's on the uh the you know what's our meal buyout? They're like, oh, we're bringing y'all some barbecue. Let me tell you, it's the best you've ever had. Um, but uh, I don't know. Dreamland's just like a um always kind of like been a staple you know i think it started in tuscaloosa and then they have the one in birmingham and it's uh i don't know i just really like it the sauce is good and, and they bring out white bread Ooh. like for the appetizer and you dip it in the sauce yeah so it's really good I love it. super fancy open up that wonder bread bag and just dip it in yeah. the sauce. Yeah. yeah i love it so you know i mean i know you had a really interesting path to music but Growing up in the South and specifically Alabama, I bet you had a bunch of musical influences, but who was the first artist you really remember listening to and going, wow, I really love this? Uh, Garth Brooks. That was like my first, mm-hmm. like, well, like I grew up like loving, you know, women's like 90, 90s country because like my parents divorced when I was young. And so like when I was with my mom, it was like, Lori Morgan and like, you know, uh, the, the chicks and, um, you know, like stuff like that. Um, Patty Loveless, you know, and all that stuff. Um, Winona and, yeah, you know, my favorite. <laughs> um, but then when I was with my dad, it was more like Clint Black, you know, Earl Thomas Conley, you know, uh, Keith Whitley, you know, um, Merle Haggard, stuff like that. Um, but like my first music that I like found on my own country music that I found on my own was Garth Brooks. Like, I mean, everybody listened to him, you know, I mean, he's like was huge, but I remember like having that greatest hit CD and just like with the American flag on his face. And like, I, I got one of those like um, five disc CD changers, you know, where it lights up. And like, I just remember in my room, like, uh, learning like the lyrics off the back of the cd you know and just like really 
digging into it. My mom was always like real big into karaoke and stuff like that. So like I would learn the lyrics to these, you know, that I loved like getting this. That's one thing I miss about CD land is like having, being able to like go through and, and, um, you know, do all that stuff, man. It just thundered outside. Crazy. I know it's, gross here today too but i love that you bring up early garth brooks it's so funny my dad got me the 1997 live album from central park and for the longest time i thought that's how songs were supposed to sound so when somebody gifted me like an album you know i mean that wasn't a live version i go "Uh uh-uh that that doesn't sound right that's not the right version of the song so i will only listen to live garth brooks now yeah the the live version of that summer yeah awesome that's oh. the, when I when I played in a cover band. That's how I sang that version. Was like the live version. Oh my gosh! Have it's you seen so all the? More, so. Have you seen all the TikToks of people just realizing how kind of cringy that song is? Have you seen those going around? No, I haven't seen that. But me and my old bass player had had a uh, had have had uh, deep discussions. Like strawberry wine's fine. Yeah, but like there's definitely something going on in that summer. You know, yeah, that I mean? summer I'm like. I remember just belting it out when I was 10 years old and I recently went back and went, wow, that song is really creepy. And if I ever give you Garth Brooks, I'm going to ask him about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So you celebrated something really big last month and I know you actually just hopped on your socials to chat about it. Congratulations on 15 years of sobriety. So chat with me about that. I mean, that's a big decision. I mean, that's a large decision and an awesome decision to make, but kind of peeling back the layers, what kind of led to that decision? Um, well, I think kind of what led to me getting sober was just, uh, I started my parents, uh, my mom was remarried at a very young age, like, like at like three. So I had my dad's house that I went to on the weekends. And then I had a guy that I called dad at home. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was 13, my mom checked me out of school and, you know, told me that day, basically, that they were separating. So at 13, that's when I like, you know, there's people out there that have way more traumatic stuff happen to them. But for me, that was my traumatic, you know, mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I think I just began to like, isolate a lot you know and I was living in a different neighborhood and that just kind of fell into me falling in with the wrong crowd I'm not saying that it's anybody's fault you know or anything like that it's just my path that I took Mm. and um so I started you know drinking and and at first and then it turned to drugs and um yeah and uh I just finally reached a point to every time it seemed like I got messed up I either ended up in jail or I was like suicidal or, you know, didn't want to be on this earth anymore. And I finally just got to a point to where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, as they say. And, um, you know, I remember when I first went to treatment, the initial thought was, is that, you know, I'll go to rehab and I'll learn how to like be like a normal person and learn how to like be the guy that only drinks on the weekends but like I always said to myself I'll always be the guy that smokes weed no matter what you know (laughs) and then uh I ended up uh a lot of people say I got brainwashed but uh uh, my my brain needed to be washed and uh so I ended up um getting sober and it's I mean it's it's been a wild ride you know I mean I, I when I left rehab I went to um a sober living environment 
which is like halfway house. It's a nice way to say that. Mm-hmm. And it was in Bessemer, Alabama. Um, and yeah, yeah, uh, I've heard of that town, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, they also call it Bessemer by God, Alabama. And, uh, <laughs> I lived there for six months and I lived in the halfway house and I did everything they told me to do. I went to meetings and, and um, also had some like, some uh court stuff hanging over my head and and had to do probation and and uh all that stuff but it's funny like when you get in trouble with the law if you do everything they tell you to do they let you go yeah you know it's a like, funny concept huh yeah <laughs> you know i mean you can get in a system where you know i mean it, it's it is um set up to you know it seems like it like you know, it's set up to fail sometimes, you know, um, for failure. But in my case, I was in a sober living. I was staying sober. I had a job. I was going to meetings. I paid all my money that they asked me to do. And I passed the drug test. And about a year and a half of doing that, they were like, all right, you're off. You got a clean record. And I was like, well, I don't really want to screw this up. So I just kept going to meetings. I kept helping other people. That was one thing that, you know, has been huge in my life and um a big part of my sobriety journey is you know helping others learn how to stay sober and um yeah I mean I think and then now I'm here I'm 16 years sober and it's crazy but you know I mean yeah I think like I don't know I guess I was 13 years sober before I had any real success with music you know um I mean I feel like a lot of the times there's a lot of people at six years sober, if they lived the life that I lived and they were trying to stay sober, they would just been like, screw it. I quit. This is too hard. Like, uh, I lost my father and went through a divorce and it was a lot of, uh, dark times. I mean, it was really hard. And, uh, but I just never gave up, you know, I, I knew that, that I didn't want to get drunk or high again. And that if I did that, it would only complicate my problems. And, uh, yeah, so I just believe today that there's there's just really nothing that I can go through that's going to make me want to drink again, you know. I have certain things that I do, have to do to stay sober and certain things that, you know, make me not like other people, you know, especially in this industry, but, like, those are the things that I have to do. And without those things, um, without my sobriety, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm not going to be the, you know, the the good son and the, the brother and the friend and um you know i'm people at my label aren't gonna like me so yeah. <laughs> uh, um yeah business partner whatever you know i gotta i gotta sobriety's always comes first and i've always kept that at the forefront of my mind I, I love that that's such an inspiration i feel like in music and specifically in country music uh it's kind of unheard of so good for you but did music kind of play a journey or a, a, a part in your journey of healing through that whole time when did this whole music dream kind of start to form oh yeah for sure so right before I went to rehab I was uh in Tuscaloosa all my friends I dro- I was a high school dropout I dropped out of- I actually dropped out of high school twice so I dropped out um did summer school for a year went back um there was like this drug deal gone bad in my house and somebody got beat up really bad and then like the school found out and I was just like, all right, screw this. I'm out of here. And I dropped out. Um, but, um, so after, you know, rambling on for a little while, but like I was, all my friends were in school 
in Tuscaloosa for uh for college, you know. So I thought I would just move down there and you know, the plan was go to GED classes, get my GED and then enroll in a junior college. Well, that never happened because I was <laughs> I was just going to party and do what I was doing then, you know. <laughs> and um uh I I grew up with uh my best friend that I've known since I was about six years old. His name's Frankie. And uh, he's actually in, 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 uh, in the title track. I talk about him in the title track for my album that's coming out next year. But uh, uh, I was over at his house and his roommate had a guitar and his roommate taught me the intro because I'd gotten a guitar when I was like 13. But then I realized that like, you actually have to work to do this. So like, I was, I was all about, I've always been about instant gratification, you know, and I wasn't going to get that from that. That's why I think that, you know, the alcoholism and the addiction stuff was there before I ever put it in. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some people disagree with that, but that's what I believe. Um, So, but I was over at his house and I learned to play the intro to Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. And that was like right before I went to treatment. So I went to treatment and, uh, you know, I always sang karaoke and stuff like that growing up. But there was a song by an artist named Jake Owen, which we all know who Jake Owen is now. But he had this song called Starting With Me. And I remember like that was like my favorite song during that time because I was at a very low point. And uh, and I remember sitting on the back steps of rehab, smoking a cigarette. And I was just kind of singing that song to myself because even when I was in my low moments of my drunkenness or my highness, music always did something for me, for me that I couldn't get for, from drugs and alcohol, you know? Um, to me, I look at like singing as like a form of like crying or like some kind of release, you know? Yeah. So I would sit and I was, I sat on the, the the back detox porch is what they call it at rehab <laughs> and i was just smoking a cigarette just just sucking that thing down i was singing that song to myself and i told myself right then and there i was like if i can get sober and stay sober i'm gonna buy a guitar and teach myself how to play that song because that song you know means that much to me and um when i got out of treatment i went to the halfway house there were some guys there that played guitar i played them played it a couple of times and then uh, at nine months sober uh, or six months sober, I made amends with my father because um, I had stolen some money from my dad. And like we just kind of he had like sent me to military school and um, I had I got uh, like I had some court stuff back then. And the day it got thrown out the next day, I got kicked out of uh, military school. So we just had like not a great relationship at the time. And um, when I made amends to my father, he asked me, it's like, I don't know. I, you know, I said, what can I do to make things right between you? And I said, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, you got to keep doing it. And that's how you can make things right between, you know. And and then he asked me, he said, do you want to move in with me? And I said, I would love that. You know, I hadn't lived with my dad since I was, you know, yeah. three years old. So um, we made we made a hell of a bond and a hell of a comeback before he died. I remember at seven years sober, I gave him my seven year chip and told him how much I love him. And, uh, it, you know, it's, and then three days later he passed away. So, but I mean, you can't like, you can't write a better ending than that. 
That's yeah. like some movie scene type of stuff. It, you know? it is. It was a tough time. You know what I mean? It was hard to get through um, losing. He had a heart attack. So losing somebody like so abruptly without warning was really tough for me. But now looking back on it almost 10 years later, um, you can't write a better ending than that. But uh, I moved in with my dad and, and I bought a guitar and I came home with it. And he was like, this is great, Trey. This is like another thing that you're not because I made dumb decisions in early recovery. Like one time I bought a bunch of like fake shoes and hats and I was going to sell them to like make money. And it was just stupid, you know, like I just did so much dumb stuff. So I don't know if he really thought that I was actually going to learn how to play it, but I had learned how to play that wish you were here thing. And then I knew that you could look up tabs on the internet and I had a chord book. So like, you know, I think the first song I learned how to play was probably like Wonderwall or something. And like, <laughs> I, you know, anyway, here's Wonderwall. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, but like I started like just like putting these songs together. And my dad was like just amazed by it, you know. And, and uh, so I say that like music and my sobriety kind of uh, healed me and my father's relationship. But it also healed me as a person, you know. I remember like not even knowing how to play other songs, but I learned how to play chords first. So I would just make up like, like funny songs. Like me and my dad would sit in the living room and just like write funny songs that, you know, I would never play, you know, that, 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 that you know, that are like way grosser than Dick down to Dallas. That I wouldn't even <laughs> so I'm like, like I'm you sure know, your dad was rolling over. But yeah, did you so. see that Jake also just posted about his sobriety story today? Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's awesome. So I feel like there needs to be a manifestation of the two of you collabing. I know you just hinted at an album, so maybe you can. Uh, have yeah, him. that would be that would be awesome. So when I got you, a lot of oh, I got go a ahead. lot of sobriety songs that I've written. <laughs> I bet. But when you moved to Nashville, I mean, that is a party town. I have told mm-hmm. myself now every time I visit for work or for whatever to try to not to drink. And it's hard. So when you finally you know, made that jump and come to Nashville, how did you connect with other people without alcohol? Well, you know, I mean, I played in a cover band for eight years, you know, I mean, I was still Trey Lewis, the artist, but we were playing, you know, four hours straight, four nights a week, traveling all over. I, you know, I always talk about Tin Roof. Tin Roof paid my bills for many a years, you know, I bet. and, um, you know, we would go play all the tin roofs. So I've been, I, you know, I've been around it, but um, definitely moving here was, um, was a big scary jump for me. I mean, I just, I was married for six years and I worked at a treatment center that I once was a patient at and I worked there, you know, four nights a week or however much. And then I, then I played in bars, you know, three nights a week or four nights a week, sometimes five until it got to a point where it's like, Hey, we need you to work this, what you're saying going to work or like, we need to do something else. And I was like, cool, I'll just quit. Yeah. Um, so I <laughs> felt like I was like either surrounded by people that were getting drunk or like trying to get sober, you know? So eventually at, at some point it became a lot for me. But when I moved here, like I said, I'd just gone through my divorce and uh, I was also a stepfather when I was married. So I remember, um, just to talk about how a song can really hit you. You know, I remember I walked into, um, uh, I had a friend here in town that introduced me to a lot of people, but I walked into the local over here in, in, um, 
I guess what's over by Sylvan Park, I guess. And uh, I walked into the local and a guy by the name of Russell Sutton was playing a song called My Boy, and which is the big Elvis Shane song. But back then it was just a song, you know. But I remember just like sitting there and that song hitting me directly between the eyes. And I was like, wow, I've really done this. Like, I'm not in Alabama anymore. I'm no longer a stepfather, you know, but that was me. And I'm here. And I remember just walking out of the bar that night and just feeling kind of like raw hamburger meat. That's the best way I can, I can like put it. You I've know? never heard somebody say that, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just drove home and cried my eyes out the whole way home. And I was like, what am I going to do? You know, um, I'm here. I'm here now. Um, but there were many a nights where I would go to revival or like a writer's round and, you know, cause you have to go out, you have to network, you have to meet people. And I remember going out many a nights and I would say, Hey, my name's Trey Lewis. And, you know, they would look back at me and go, you know, like, you just couldn't. <laughs> like I was like, all right, well, tonight's not my night. Yeah. And uh, I remember talking to my mom one night on the phone. Uh, she was like, you know, how's Nashville going? I was like, you know, mom, sometimes it's discouraging. Some nights I just leave the bar at midnight and think like, what am I even doing here? But, you know, I know from like when I first started going to AA and when I first got sober, I remember I used to like walk into the meetings and like before the meetings, everybody's drinking coffee and carrying on. And like, you know, if I would, ever, I would keep my phone in my hand. So if I saw anybody like walking my way, I would just put it up. Like, didn't want to talk to them, you know, like I just, I felt like I hadn't earned my seat there, you know? And then when I kept coming back and kept doing the work, you know, I felt like, okay, I'd kind of earn my seat, seat there. So I felt like, you know, I just had to, just like in AA and in life, I just had to like keep showing up if that makes sense. And I just, and that's what I did. And, um, I think it was like probably within the first month of being here, I was at revival and this big tall guy came walking up to me and it was Matt McKinney. And he, oh we had God. met, we had met in Auburn a few years before I was singing a, a big green tractor and I was changing the lyrics and making it dirty. And, oh, uh, I see a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he came up to me. He's like, dude, I met you in Auburn. You were like, I just moved here. He was like, you were changing the words, the big green tractor. And then we found out that we lived like right down the street from each other. So we just immediately started hanging out. He's like one of the first five hands that I shook here in Nashville. And then, uh, you know, we just became friends and then he kind of just, Matt McKinney's one of those guys that he has this ability where like he brings different kind of people together, you know, he's just like that middle piece. And, um, and then after I lived here for about six months, um, a friend of mine, Mitch Wallace, which he does my social media now, Clay Barker and Ella Langley uh, moved up here and we all got in a house together. And me and Ella have now lived together for uh, going on four years. We, yeah. We've we've moved houses three times. We're in our third house together now. We so. just had her on a couple of weeks ago and she chatted about a time that you came into her room with a money machine. And Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got it right here. I got all this oh fake money. <laughs> I love it. But now I feel like you are the mayor of Live Oak. So, you I mean, talk to me about kind of finding your community and finding your people in Nashville. Yeah. So, like I said, I was playing in a cover band and traveling a lot. Um, so, I being on the road so much didn't um, allow me time to, like, hang out with song, the people I was writing songs with. Um, and then COVID happened. 
And then we um, started hanging out at each other's houses. And that's when, like, I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, man, sometimes I honestly miss COVID, you know, because it's like, now it's like we go to Red Door and we're like screaming and yelling. And then the next day you don't have a voice and then you got a show on Thursday and you can't even talk to people because you were screaming at Red Door. So I'm like, I don't even like going out anymore, you know, or anything like that. Like, I'm glad we're all working and having success, but like, damn, I just miss those times of like just chilling at each other's houses. Um, but I mean, that's what we did. And that's kind of like what kind of gave me like a community. But when I first moved here, I didn't know if I wanted to be a country, like an artist, artist okay. anymore. Uh, I was thinking that maybe, you know, I moved here at a later age in life and maybe it was time to not be an artist anymore. I remember, I remember driving my white van and just telling God like, man, like, if all I get to do is like play in a cover band and like write songs to my friends during the week, like whatever, that's fine. But I don't really like that, you know? And, and, uh, we were over at Alex Maxwell's house and they were all passing around the guitar. And I think Dawson Edwards or one of the guys said, Hey man, why don't you play something you never play? And I played this song that I wrote called believer. I actually put it out during quarantine. Like I recorded songs of, uh, songs on my phone and just put out put them out like acoustic and um i played the song called believer and i ended up having to play it like seven more times that night sitting around the campfire and then like that was just enough like vow confidence from those guys to know that hey man i can do this artist thing you know and um yeah and then i guess now we're segueing into dick down in dallas do you want to talk about that yeah you know it was going right into that it's funny because now for chatting with you i love that you are almost honoring your dad in a very weird way (laughs) oh yeah i mean he would love every single second of it you know uh but I the, love that, that you were also in a cover band and now cover bands were like, if you pay us a hundred dollars, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Song we'll it's play. up there with Freebird and Sweet Home Alabama, right? I know you've made it, but who threw out that idea? I know that McKinney um, is involved in some aspect of this song, but who threw that out? So Matt McKinney and Drew Chosclair and Brent Gaffer wrote the song. Um, but I remember it was just a verse chorus for a long time. And McKinney played it for me a couple of times. Didn't think anything of it. And I think during COVID, maybe they finished it. And me, Mitch Wallace, my old roommate, does my social media now. And Matt McKinney went to eat at Chili's. It was like when they when they started finally letting people eat in restaurants again. And we ate there like during the day. We were coming back. We are just listening to the work tape in the truck. And my roommate, Mitch, was like, dude, if you recorded this song, I would buy it on iTunes. You should record it. And then I really didn't say anything. And I got back to the house and I was like, you know what, man? Like, screw it, dude. I've been putting out music since 2013. Like, let's do it. Like, I figured it would just be like, Tyler Reeve had the song called like White Wine, White Girls and Adderall. And I figured that it would just be like a funny Nashville song. Didn't think anything of it. Well, around the time, that time, we all started playing kickball together and that's how that's how I really we really met other people like Matt Burrill and um and all that stuff, which I've known Raised Rowdy and Nikki T for since probably twenty seventeen, you know, before before any of that. They used to post articles about my music way before 
DDID oh, wow. so yeah yeah they've been they've been in a long time that's why I always wear their gear because I always said day ones um but uh that's how I like um met Matt Burrill or whatever and Matt Burrill had in the round now I think it's outside the round now and um he was and he had the round at Live Oak and he was like man I want you to come play the round but I want you to you know like play your songs because yeah, he Burrill's sober too and he loved my song Little Tired which is about sobriety and mental health he was like, I want you to play your songs, but at the end, I want you to do a bonus song and sing Dig Down in Dallas. Well, by this time, it became like a like a campfire special, you know, yeah. and I, and everybody that was in the bar was all of our friends. So, yeah. you know, and it was me, Joy Beth, Ella and Maxwell in the round. Yeah. And I play the song and Nikki T takes a video of it, puts it on Facebook. And then Bonner, the other guy that's like does my social media stuff, gets it put on Caller Daddy's Facebook group. And then Matt McKinney got it put on, um, got it put on uh, Old Row, like yeah. the video from the from Live Oak that night. And then uh, Mitch, my roommate, said you need to download this app called TikTok and you should start posting on it. And I was like, cool, whatever. He made my TikTok account for me. I had no idea what it was. And then uh, we ended up going in the studio to record this song. We went to Saxman Studios. We recorded it. It was just Grady Saxman on drums. Uh, Saul played guitar, uh, bass, and acoustics. And then Maxwell did all the post-production, the keys and the oohs and the ahs and all that. Within two weeks, we had a recorded, mixed, and mastered song. And uh, we put, and then we were going to put it out, but uh, when we went to the studio, we Trey Bonner took a video, and I was driving down to Huntsville. I had a four-hour acoustic gig, and uh, it paid like two hundred fifty bucks, you know, plus tips. Back then, that was good money for me because yeah, hey. it's only like an hour and a half away from Nashville. Yep, and it was kind of nearing the end of COVID where we were able to play. You know, people had to sit down and stuff. I mean, but um, I posted a video before that gig started when i got done playing the four-hour gig i had three million views or like 3.3 or something crazy like that and then we started the pre-order pre-save thing and then um the people that were doing my distribution at the time called me and they were like man if you put this thing out today it would debut at number one i was like no we're gonna put it out december 1st that's what we planned on and we put it out and it was a billboard number one um we uh we uh outsold um the pop group bts yeah that week i had people coming at me on twitter i was like i don't even know i think i have like five followers on twitter i don't even know what this is and um i don't know it was just such an awesome night yeah seeing that song do that we had a big party at the house i think it was one of the last parties we ever had but i remember for a second just taking a second and going in my room and getting down on my knees and, you know, just thanking God for that number one song and everything it meant to me was, was just so, so huge. I mean, like my, I could just see my dad in heaven being like, I love this. This is <laughs> awesome. You know? Um, but, you know, um, I haven't, you know, really honestly, like, received any hate about that song yeah. like i know i know some people might look at it like 
you know, might say negative things about me, but nobody's ever said negative things to my I face. I mean, look at Wheeler me. Walker Jr. I mean, the man's yeah. selling out arenas. I mean, I, yeah. think, I think you're just fine. But, yeah. you know, I mean, now you're kind of stepping into this new era and you're, you want that to still be a part of your story, but you're looking to yeah. kind of step away from that. What do you think is the biggest misconception about you as an artist? Oh, I mean, I don't know. I I, I think that, that, you know, um, they just, I feel like I'm a letdown to people that are, are fans of Dick down in Dallas. Cause they meet me and they're like, Oh, this guy doesn't drink. Like, you know, he's yeah. not this, he's not that, but I don't know. I, I'm, I think I'm just not what people think I am, you know, and that, that kind of, you know, um, blows them out of the water a little bit, but like, I don't know, I think, or blows their mind or whatever, but I think that like, you know, I am exactly 110% who I've always been, you know, I mean, like I said, I've been putting out music since 2013. Um, you know, I put out a song in I think 2019, um that had the f word in it but it was like bleeped out you know i just wasn't like you know solidified in who i am as an artist to to be able to say those you know things um i think we definitely made a splash with dick down in dallas and it's been uh a weird transition for some people but you know we've also you know that first year we played 140 shows you know and then last year I did a tour with Kid Rock, you know, and I've done like, I've played a lot of shows and I always think that my, it's every time I step on stage, it's an opportunity that if you come to my show, a Dick Down in Dallas fan, they're going to leave a fan of me um, because there's more layers to the onion, you know, and, and uh, I've been through a lot of stuff in my life and uh, that song not only changed my life, but it changed the other people. Uh, other people in my life's lives too you know i mean our, all our friends after that we, they all signed pub deals and record deals and yeah. you know it just really brought light to um the hard work that people around me were already doing you know and it just put a magnifying glass on us all and it's it's really cool like every friday now it's like all my friends that we were all hanging out with back then they have like a cut coming out on new music <laughs> friday you know it's awesome wild? I and mean, then you I, look at, you know, you look at Ella, like when Ella moved here, she was 19 years old and now she's crushing it. Like, you know, five cuts on L King's record. Like, you know, she got the song with, with, you know, oh, code that's yeah. crushing, you know, and, um, and she's just a hell of a performer. And, you know, she has her own thing that she does. that's completely different from what I do, you know, and it's, and, uh, but, it, but it's just been cool. You know, I mean, I, I got offered, you know, big, big money for that song and i turned it all down you know all my my band members at the time their wives quit their jobs and and uh i was able to like give my mom ten thousand dollars for christmas one christmas just to like help her with her debt and help her get caught back up you know and and, and um you know it was definitely like a life-changing thing for me and i'm grateful for it i the next year i went and recorded like over 60 songs you know yeah. um yeah, I just took songs that I believed in that I thought maybe could, you know, pop off on the internet, and um, and uh, I did that, you know, and and um, and then I remember we were driving to, uh, we were playing a show out in Colorado about a year and a half ago, and Lynn Oliver texted me, 
Little Oliver Clown texted me and said, asked me to do some video on Cameo. I was like, you don't have to pay me. I'll just do it, you know? And she was like, no, I'm going to pay you. So I did the Cameo and she was like, what have you been up to? I was like, well, my plan is, is to go in at the beginning of the year and record my own album and, you know, put my own money behind it and see what happens. And she was like, I want in. So that's kind of how the river house thing started. And, um, yeah, we've made a record that I'm really proud of. And, um, you know, uh, but what was really cool is like, after all that, you know, you get messages like, Oh, that guy's a one hit wonder or like whatever. And then to turn around and have a song like single again, that I wrote, Mm -hmm. you know, um went number one on itunes so anybody that called me a one-hit wonder can officially kiss my ass um yeah that's on record there Uh, i I love it that's gonna be my new ringtone (laughs) yeah yeah so uh it was cool just to have like have that and then you know most recently i had a song kind of do well it's doing well that we just put out always you and that's part of the album and and uh yeah i mean i'm just excited about you know all i don't you know i don't like see myself as like some kind of famous person i just see myself as a guy that likes to make country music and play country music and i'm fortunate enough to have enough people that support me to do that that i can do it for a living you know and i'm grateful for that um but you know i mean i have goals you know i want to play the grand Ole opry i want to you know have a song on country radio and uh you know somebody asked me the other day i said what's your end goal and i said well my end goal's how far can I take it? You know, how far can I go? And, uh, but just the, just the opportunity to get up every day and just be able to create and make music and surround myself with people that are, um, better than me. And, 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 um, you know, that are just good, genuine people. That is the, that's the goal in life. And, and, and I, I mean, I feel like I have everything that I ever wanted. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, anybody out there listening, never give up. I love that. I mean, go celebrate with an ice bath, go hang out with jelly roll. I mean, you've just yeah. been doing it all. Well, we are so excited. I love that there's a new album coming. I'm obsessed with that fact. And thank you for taking the time. I mean, when Lauren pitched me to you to us, I was like, absolutely. We saw you at tailgates and tall boys, the one in Taylorville, like a couple of oh, years yeah. ago, because my family literally lives in Taylorville. So I was like, Oh, this yeah. isn't easy easy thing to go to. So, well, we really appreciate you taking the time and they're actually opening up a tin roof in Chicago. So I think it, you just have to come and play. Oh, awesome. Yeah. awesome. I, I, don't, I don't know if I think my tin roof days are done, but uh, <laughs> if I ever had to go back to it, I totally could. I love it. Well, thank you so, so much and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. See we'll you. chat with you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Once again, my name is Bobby Dixon, and I am the founder of Backstage Bobby, a country music news outlet that highlights Chicago's country music scene. Follow me on Instagram at Backstage Bobby, and be sure to subscribe to the Country Confidential podcast to hear more insider info directly from all of your favorite country music artists. Country Confidential. Country News Country Confidential Podcast is produced by me, Ashley Kim. I also executive produce alongside my team at Horseshoe Media. You can submit your artist, organization, or event to us at allcountrynews.com for a chance to be featured. If you love this episode, please rate and review our podcast wherever you're listening. And a huge shout out to our friends from Restless Road who recorded our amazing theme music for this podcast. Country Confidential.
All Country News. For more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at All Country News. Visit us at allcountrynews.com to join our birthday club and subscribe to our weekly industry newsletter. Check out a new episode of Country Confidential every month right here. All Country News.